Amen. Yes, I won. Good. Okay, there we go. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Bates. Married to Jenna. Got uh, two little kids and one coming in a few weeks. Um, if you're visiting this morning, you probably think, do these people do anything other than pray, sing, and then clap for each other? We do, actually. We get to preaching the scriptures, and it's coming up, so I hope it's, uh, it's good. Uh, if you are joining One Hope for the first time, you're wondering, are they going to be done by half past 12? Hopefully. Good news, we'll be done by half past 11. No, I'm joking. Even earlier than that, so you can just strap yourselves in and enjoy as we dive into the book of Ruth this morning. I do want to warn you, my water level is about here already this morning as you can hear, so tears are going to come, so just brace yourselves, uh, it doesn't bother me, so hopefully it doesn't bother you, hopefully you can still hear what I'm saying through the mic uh, this morning, for whatever reason, in prayer this morning, the water levels just started rising, prayer time before this, so I don't know why, it's the way God's made me, so good luck to you all as you try and discern what I'll be saying. Believe it or not, I am going to pray again just now, so... Um, we really need Jesus, right? Um, yeah, I've been on eldership for about three years and just absolutely loving it. We were um, busy with exploring membership, which is our looking in to, hey, is this a church we want to be part of? Yesterday and the day before, and it was just so cool um, to be doing it with the 13 or so folks that were there and just realizing God has built this church. been going since 1971, believe it or not, from Somerset West. And it's just amazing to see God's hand build one hope to what it is today uh, and what lies ahead. If we've seen what he's done before, it's just really exciting. So uh, this is a great church to be part of. If you're looking in, um, keep looking in. I want to encourage you to keep checking it out and come and speak to us if you've got questions and uh, really be open to what God might want to say to you. I am continuing in our uh, Ruth series this morning. It's a six-part series, so this is part two. And if you want to know what the book of Ruth is all about, here's the brief summary. Here's the big idea. It should be on the screen in a minute, if you can see that screen. It's not particularly bright, eh? Anyway, I'll read it so you can just listen up. Here's the summary of the book of Ruth, right? For the four chapters that it is, it's not a very long book. It's this. God's providence, God's providence, revealing his gracious hand in the midst of life's pains. God's providence revealing his gracious hand in the midst of life's pains. That's quite a mouthful, but if you just break it down kind of section by section, that's really the overarching narrative or story of the book of Ruth. That's a good summary of it, and we've captured it in our strapline for the series, uh, calling it a a story of God's redeeming grace. This is a story of God's redeeming grace. And so I'm going to be diving into Ruth chapter 1, verse 6 to 22 today. There's a little bit of a section, but the wonderful thing about narrative is a story, right? And as a people, we love story, we love narrative, and this is actually a real life story. In fact, it's probably the first short story we know of in history captured in literature, a real story short story, and they've got specific ways of being written and so on, and so there's actually beautiful artistry um, and skill in putting together the story that the author did uh, so many thousand years ago. Um, So I don't think, no, we didn't do that. Okay, so I'm going to pray again. Jesus, would your words speak to us this morning? We open ourselves to you and to what you might want to say through this wonderful ancient story captured in the scriptures for us. Amen. Okay, so question, we are talking about stories. What is your favorite love story? What is your favorite love story? Book, movie, series, I don't know, tape, if you're over a certain age. Um, I don't know, MP3, do those still exist? What is it? I know there's some really good movies out there uh, on love stories. And um, the thing is, if we're honest, all of us love a good love story. All of us, to varying degrees. And that love might look a little bit different. But the reason we love it is because we as humans were made to know and experience love in the deepest way. And the, the truth is that the kind of love we really want and seek and hope for, and which is usually depicted in these love stories we watch or we read about or we listen is a love that is given in spite of that person. It's a love that's not dependent on what they look like, what they have, where they live, what they can give you, but rather a love because of who they are. That's the kind of love we find really sweet and because that's the kind of love we want to receive ourselves, right? We want to receive a kind of love that is given to us in spite of who we are. That's 
It's a love that is fully given even when we are fully known. Because we know the depths of our own sin and brokenness and all the things that are going on on the inside, right? Maybe almost no one else knows them other than God. Yet that's the kind of love we really seek and we really want. And that's why we love love stories, especially the ones that are like this. I'm willing to bet the really best love stories in history contain something of this kind of love that is given in spite of an individual and what they've done and who they are. It's a loyal kind of love, a faithful kind of love. And the amazing thing is, guys, this kind of love is expressed in the Bible. The Bible is not a boring book. It honestly isn't. Just read it. Really, really, just go and read it. It's not always easy to understand, given, fair enough. That's why we've got community, so we can read together and understand it together. But this is an incredible book, and the story you're reading about today is captured purposefully by Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for our good and for our benefit. And it's a wonderful love story in the midst of a very ordinary, very regular family. Very, very regular family, just like us, who goes through life and has ups and downs and struggles and joys and victories, has celebration moments like we had this morning of welcoming children and the blessing that God gives in children and has the deepest, darkest moments of despair, which Ryan was inviting us into this morning to come and walk alongside their family as they go through trials. And we should be walking alongside one another in this wonderful family of One Hope as we go through life and the realities that come with it. So last week, Paul preached and introduced uh, this series, and he used kind of four tips that he gave us on how to read the Bible, and he kind of preached that way, and I'll do a little bit similarly today, but those four tips were pray, so we've done that enough, I reckon, eh? (laughs) we're open to what the Lord might want to say, and then he said, and the second thing we should do when we read the Bible is don't start with me in 2023. In other words, the first thing we do is what did it mean in 2000 BC or 150 BC or whatever, whenever it was written, what did it mean for those people, that audience, at that time. And so we're going to get into that in just a minute, looking a bit more at the context. What did this mean for the people at the time? And then we look at the actual scripture itself. What does it say? What does it mean for those people? But then maybe also start moving towards us. The third point there is, though, is what does it say about the gospel? The gospel is the good news about Jesus. Even way before Jesus came, God had been showing kind of four shadows, four little pictures of his wonderful good love that he would display in the gospel. And we're going to do that a little bit later in the sermon as well. And then lastly, what does this scripture mean for me in 2023? How does it apply? This is not just an ancient text that sits on the shelf when we look at it and, oh, that's lovely. It actually speaks to us today because the Holy Spirit, who authored the scriptures through these people, is still alive and active and at work in the lives of Christ followers. So this is still very relevant, as Johannes was praying just now for us today. So those are four tips. I'm not going to reference them again. The reason I brought them up, they're just so helpful as we read the Scriptures and as we read Ruth. But you'll see we kind of follow that pattern through this morning. So what I do want to reference is that um, this is a narrative. It's a story. In Scripture, in the Bible, there's different types of writing. Um, there's kind of letters written, there's the Gospels, which is a good mixture of all, there's kind of poems, which is more poetic stuff, there's apocryphal scripture, which talks about the future, is a little bit difficult to understand, and then there's stories or narrative, which are accounts of actual history, and this is one of those. Uh, and so when we look at a story or a narrative, they typically follow this pattern or this arc, they call it, I don't know why they call it an arc, but apparently that's what one calls the story progression. Um, and there's a little uh, diagram, I suppose, for that. Is it on the screen? There it is. Thank you to the people from self-publishing school um, for sharing this with us. But what's really helpful is it actually helps us see where we are in the Scripture. So if you've got a timeline at the bottom there, you've got the beginning of the story, the middle of a story, and the end. Sorry for those who studied English and stuff. I'm boring you, but this, I find this interesting, so bear with me. And then you've got tension levels on the left there, right? So if we think of what Paul shared with us last week, it was from verse 1 to verse 5, we were really in the beginning of the story. We're getting the setup. Where is this taking place? Who are the characters? We're still going to be introduced to a few more, but who are the main characters in the story? What's really happening? And then there's this inciting incident. What does that mean? Something happens. Something hectic typically happens. And we'll, when we think about those love stories we enjoy so much, they actually follow this exact arc. You're like, ah, no, no, I don't write a good love story. Good luck. Uh, it, does t- it does take some skill. But 
We've looked at the setup. We've looked at the inciting incident. And where we're going to be today from verse 6 to verse 22 in chapter 1 is on that rising action piece. And then come next week because you're going to see the climax of the story being revealed. And this is kind of where tension rises and falls. Uh, And I want to encourage you to read, Ruth. It's only four chapters. It's super quick. And look for this pattern. What do you think was the inciting incident? Why, do, why was the tension building as the action rose? What's the climax point? And then at the end there, what's the resolution? And in most biblical narratives, there's more than one resolution because there's ultimately a resolution in Jesus, which is a wonderful thing. But there's a re- resolution to this specific story as well, and we'll come to that in week six um, as Nathan uh, unpacks that for us. Anyway, that's the story arc. I thought of doing a little demonstration now. I know we ran out of time, so I'm not going to do it interactive. Uh, but it would have been fun, and it's going to be quick. Uh, no, we're not going to do it. Okay. <laughs> this is a summary of what Paul uh, shared last week in the narrative, right? We've got these, uh, what's it, five characters. We've got Elimelech, not Elimelech, Elimelech, by the way. Uh, and he's got a wife called Naomi. They live, this is the land of... Um, Israel, it's Bethlehem, which means uh, house of bread, by the way, but there was a famine in the house of bread. So this is uh, what Elimelech, uh, his wife, and their two sons. Do you know what their sons' names are? Malon and Kilion. Do you know what that means? It means sickly and wilting. Those are terrible names to give your children. Sickly and wilting. But it's actually quite amazing, because if you think of it, there was a time of famine, right? So probably they were born with a malnourished mom, and so they looked very sickly and wilting when they were born. Interesting, but just don't call your children that, please. So great names that one hope parents would call them. Those are good names. Choose those ones. Um, Sickly and Walting, and they, um, uh, Elimelech, whose God is king, decided that God was no longer his king, decided to be king of his own life, picked up his family, moved them from the promised, blessed land of Israel, and took them to the cursed, terrible land of Moab, which is this side over here. Sorry, you guys are lovely, but just for the illustration. And um, he wanted to go and find food for his family, right? So he went against what God had said. This is an amazing land. He went to the Moabite land, who had been a people who had opposed God for many generations, terrible people, and stuff didn't go so well there, right? Limelech died. His two sons, Malon and Kilion, died. And Naomi was left there with two Moabite daughters-in-law. So her sons had taken two wives in Moab. And it was just Naomi and Ruth and Orpah left in the land of Moab. And then we get to the beginning of my story, or my part of the text today. So that's some of the tension that's been built. You can see there's the inciting incident. It's really not going well. People have died. These, two, these three ladies are left completely destitute. A woman in those times was hardly able to provide for themselves. They were not able to get work, etc., etc. So they really were destitute. And there's some glimpses of hopefully light as the action rises today towards the climax. So, P.D., will you come and read our scripture for us this morning? Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless, bless you with security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who would grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, 
Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to, came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? That woman asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite women. They arrived in Bethlehem in the late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Brilliant. Thanks, PD. I can tell you practice that a lot. <laughs> um, and so it's tempting not to read the whole narrative, eh? but it's a story, so we want to understand what's going on here. So what do we have? We've got uh, Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah in the Moab. And they've said, hey, back in Bethlehem, the barley harvest is coming. The Lord has blessed it. In other words, he's lifted the famine. The favor of God again is upon his people. And they start making a trek all the way back to Bethlehem. It's far. It's a few days hike, by the way. Like what we read in four chapters happened over 15 years, by the way. So, and also this walk wasn't just sort of a day's walk. It was a few days walk for them. Along the way, Naomi's like, Orpah, and uh, Ruth, this is not going to be good for you. This is a dead end. I've got nothing to offer you. Don't come with me. Go back to your people. Go back to your home. Go back to your moms. They can look after you. They can care for you. You can marry again. And uh, so what happens, Orpah does turn back. In in interestingly, Orpah's name means back of the neck. Isn't that interesting? And it wouldn't have obviously been her original name because she's a Moabite, so she wouldn't have had a Hebrew name. So the author gives her this name. But it's because she turned her neck and walked the other way. And Ruth says, no, I'll cling to you. And I'll go with you. Ruth's name means faithful. Isn't that interesting and uh, beautiful? Because she was faithful to Naomi. And we're going to dive into that more today. They walk all the way back to Bethlehem. They get there. The house of bread is now full of bread. Beginning of the barley harvest. And uh, Mara is, uh, uh, Naomi says they should call her Mara. Not Naomi, which means sweet, but Mara, which means bitter. Because she is probably quite depressed at that time. Lamenting. Really not in a good space. And... Um, Yep, that's where our story takes us today. So that's a summary of where we're at. The big idea for this morning, I know we are running out of time, so I promise to be about 20 to 25 minutes, so I hope you can bear with me uh, with that. Um, the big idea for this morning is that loyal love shines in dark times. Loyal love shines in dark times. And we're really going to unpack this idea of loyal love. What is it? Where do we see it? And I really believe what we focus on today is actually the original author's main purpose and intent in what he wrote the scripture about to the audience, the original audience that he wrote it to. So we're really going to double click on what I believe was the author's intent uh, in this area. There's a lot of stuff that he says, and I'm so tempted to go on many rabbit holes this morning, but I won't. We'll stick to that. Loyal love shines in dark times. And to kind of uh, paint that picture in a bit more, I would like to kind of just briefly walk through that scripture. I won't read everything and just touch on a few points that you may or may not have noticed that will hopefully color that loyal love picture in a little bit further and hopefully warm our hearts as to what God is doing in the scripture and maybe bring some challenge, some revelation, some conviction uh, to us this morning. So verse 6 and 7, we started out. Um, You'll notice that there is, sorry, if you have it open uh, on your phone or whatever, but if you don't, you're going to have to just trust me on this, go read it later. You'll notice that there's a repeated word there. Paul told us to look for repeat words last week, right, when we were studying the Bible. There's a repeat word 12 times that says to go back or to return, which is interesting, right? And uh, if we look at the Old Testament, uh, it typically means going back somewhere else, physical, but especially when it's going back to the land of God, which they were doing, it often spiritually or symbolically means returning to the Lord. So these three people were not just turning to a land, but actually turning their face back to God, not running away to Moab from God, but running back 
to God. So that's an interesting note and good to note in verse 6 and 7. Then in verse 7 and 9, there's this wonderful little Hebrew phrase. We're going to dive into it a little bit further. It's called chesed or kesed or I don't know. Does anyone speak Hebrew around here? Nobody? Okay, so I can say what I want. Chesed is what it is then. And um, it's a wonderful thing. We are describing it as loyal love, and I'll unpack that a bit further. But this is the first allusion in verse 8 uh, to this wonderful concept, which is really a theme that runs throughout the book of Ruth. And it's actually Naomi praying God's chesed, God's loyal love over Ruth and Orpah and saying, receive his love as you go back to um, your mother's. So we'll get into that a bit later. Then uh, verse 10 through 13, there's a very interesting thing here. You might have noticed it if you were listening up. There's something called the, well, it wasn't there, but it's called the Leverite Law. It's this thing that Naomi was referencing when she said, but I don't have any sons that you can marry. And I'm so old now, if I, even if I'm married today, are you going to wait for them to grow up? Why, why did she say that? She said that because she understood the, and had read or been spoken about the book of Deuteronomy, which was the law given to God's people. And it says that if, um, in summary, that if a husband dies, his brother, his next brother in line, should marry um, that widow, his, his brother's widow, to continue the name and have children with her to continue his name and on his name. So that's what she was referencing. If you're wondering why she spoke about that, that would have been well understood in the Hebrew culture, this Leverite law. Okay, then verse 14, 13 and 14, uh, Naomi says something very interesting. She says, the Lord's hand has gone out against me. The Lord's hand has gone out against me. He has brought the suffering and pain upon me. Well, that's challenging, isn't it? <laughs> Do we believe that God is like this? And why is he like that? And it's actually wonderful because this is not a statement of accusation of God from Naomi. It's a statement of reality and belief that God is good. Even though he has gone out against me, he has done these things. He has done these things to me. That didn't just happen by chance. God is good. He's sovereign. He's in charge. It's actually a providence. It's his kindness towards me in some way that I might not realize right now. So she is bitter. She is lamenting. She's not happy with life, but she knows that God's busy with it. And somewhere deep inside, and it gets revealed through the story, there's actually a, a little seed of belief down there, even though it's kind of presenting as unbelief as we see it now. Okay, next one is uh, just her name, which is wonderful. She um, is called uh, by birth Sweet, and uh, in her kind of quite depressed and, and lamenting stage that she's in, when she gets back to Bethlehem, there, she asks them to call her Mara, which means bitter. And... Um, yeah, uh, let's leave that there for now. And then the last thing is verse 6 and verse 22. Uh, it's the barley harvest. You might have referenced that if you know agri the agricultural, uh, what's it, cycle, year, uh, what's it, agricultural, seasons, that's it. Um, in ancient Israel, you probably don't, maybe you do. The barley harvest was the first of the harvests that would have come in in the agricultural season. So there would have been the wheat harvest thereafter, etc., etc. And it says that there was an abundant harvest. So really, if you read through the lines, you see that's God's provision for his people because that would have meant there would have been more laborers needed. There would have been more to give to the poor from outskirts. And so God actually inadvertently was providing for these two destitute um, widows by this abundant barley harvest. So those are just some pieces to color in the story, hopefully a little bit. So love, God's love, or loyal love rather, shines in dark times. What I'd love to do is, from the story, just kind of focus on three dimensions of this loyal love. The first one is the loyal love of God, the source of this loyal love, and then the loyal love of Ruth in that beautiful chapter 16 and 17, and then we'll discover where uh, loyal love comes through in the gospel of Jesus, uh, referencing the scripture. Okay, so let's start out with the loyal love of God. He's the source of love, Ruth, uh, Ruth 1 verse 8. I want to read that quickly. It says this, but on the way, they were traveling back to Bethlehem, on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward your kindness to your husbands and to me. And so this word kindness, which, where it's translated here, is actually this word chesed or chesed. And uh, it's just a wonderful word. Uh, it's 75% of the occurrences of this word in the Old Testament. It only appears in the Old Testament, by the way, because it's Hebrew. And the New Testament's written mostly in Greek and Aramaic, right? So it only appears, this word, in the Old Testament. 75% of the times, it's referencing God. 
and his incredible, loyal, faithful, generous love towards typically an undeserving people who actually want to go the other way, who are not faithful to him, who break their promises to him and go the other way. So it's 75% of the time it's towards God and the other 25 is describing people's actions typically towards one another. It is difficult to translate this word and so it's been translated a number of ways um, in English. Mercy as one of the ways, loving kindness, unfailing love, steadfast love, that's how it's been translated. It's kind of this mixture between love, generosity, and um, covenant keeping, or promise keeping, or uh, enduring commitment to one another. And um, all of this is kind of uh, a little bit theoretical, it seems, but actually Kesed is best described in this word, loyal love. It's a committed, enduring, steadfast love that is not just uh, a pie in the sky. It's an actionable, concrete kind of love. It's the difference between saying, I love you, and then actually doing something of service to someone who's actually bitterly and deeply offended you to still love them and show love, because that is uh, what you're really doing. And that's Kesed. It's committed, generous, ongoing love. And so Naomi asked God that he would Deal kindly, show kindly, that he would chesed, Orpah and Ruth, as they have done in a wonderful way to her husband, uh, to her as her and to her husband and sons. And so she's acknowledging that they're expressing this kind of love towards her, because they had every right in the ancient uh, uh, law to have left. There was no attachment to uh, Naomi anymore. Their husbands had died. They were mobites. They could have gone home happily, and they chose to love her and be loyal and stick to her. So she asked God's kissed to follow them back home. And the thing about God's loyal love or his kissed is that it's not based on those whom he's loving. It's based on his own faithfulness and his own love. It's based on himself and his faithfulness throughout the generations all the way back to Abraham in 2000 B.C. It's this unchanging love because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This love still remains. It's still true today for us even because he is a faithful God and he sticks to his promises, which is incredible. He's faithful um, to us. And where if you read the Old Testament, you'll see many of God's people in that time, Israelites, were not faithful to him. They walked away from him. They went to other gods. They did exactly what he said he shouldn't, just like Elimelech and his family went exactly against what God said they shouldn't do and went and lived in a foreign land and didn't trust him. That's the story throughout the Old Testament, yet God remains faithful to his people through a thousand generations. He puts himself in a position where he knows these people will not be faithful, yet he will still remain faithful to his love. And he's so generous with it, generation after generation after generation up, until today and until Jesus returns one day in however many generations' time. That will be, he will be faithful to his love. And in this wonderful story of Ruth, we see her demonstrating this kind of loyal love to her mother-in-law, Naomi. It is a beautiful, beautiful love. And there's a contrast set up here where Naomi urges Ruth and Orpah, and she says, Go back to your mothers and God bless you with his loyal love. God deal kindly with you. God be gracious and merciful. Go back. And Ruth makes this bold statement. She she says to Naomi, she says, yes, I will receive God's love. And I'll go one step further and I'll demonstrate that love to you. I want you to say thank you. Yeah, bless me. Ah, amazing. In fact, I'm going to turn that, take that and turn that onto you and be loyal and loving to you. It is incredible. God demonstrating his incredible love towards us, but this beautiful display of Ruth's love towards Naomi. And God's greatest demonstration of this loyal love was through his son Jesus, who came to earth 2,000 years ago, lived this perfect life, died on the cross and rose again for us. No guarantee of getting anything in return. He did it simply because he loves us. And he wanted to make a way for each and every one of us. And many of you sitting here this morning have experienced this love, this undeserved love of God, to be made right with him through Jesus, to become friends with God again because of his son, Jesus. This is the most incredible and supreme demonstration of loyal love. Loyal love shining in dark times. Shining through the loyal love of God, the source of 
loyal love. And so that's the loyal love of God. Then we have this wonderful demonstration of the loyal love of Ruth, loyal love of faithful, living up to her name, right? Verse 16 and 17. But Ruth replied, do not ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I'll be buried with you. Listen to this. She then levies a curse upon her own head if she doesn't stick to this commitment. It's crazy. She says, if I don't do that, Naomi, may your God... The God who rescued the Israelites from Egypt, who took you across the sea and brought you into the promised land. Your incredible, powerful God, may he punish me ever so severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Now that is a depth of love and commitment that goes well beyond anything you could ever imagine. These two verses are honestly, I think, the most beautiful and remarkable demonstration of commitment and love found anywhere in the Bible, well, second to Jesus' commitment and love to us, but this specific statement is just so, so precious and so beautiful. We can't just kind of glance over it. It's well known. You might have heard it many times before. It's Ruth who said it, by the way. If you've seen it on a fridge magnet, I'm not sure if you know who said it, but it was this wonderful lady, Ruth, who lived long ago. She's kind of been a heroine throughout the ages because of this incredible love that she showed to her mother-in-law. And the thing about this love is that, let me just step one step back. Ruth, when she says this, guys, she is in the story. She's not us looking back on the story and reading all four chapters and seeing how it turns out. She is in that moment of destitution. She's a refugee. She's giving up hope. This is not a naive kind of love. She knows what she's giving up. She's giving up her future husband. She's giving up her family. She's traveling far away. She's going to a foreign people, a foreign land. She's going to be buried in another land. She's giving up all hopes and prospects. She really is to commit to this woman who she has no legal obligation to go with. She could easily have walked away and been absolutely fine with that in, in, in every other way. But because of her love, she stuck, she clung, it says the scripture, it says she clung to Naomi and kept going with her. She's lost her husband. She's been, she's in a dark place. She's lost her father-in-law. She's lost her brother-in-law. They've died. Death is not a small thing, as we know. She knows what she's giving up, her security, her future. Women in those times were exceptionally vulnerable if they were not married. It's very offensive to our modern culture and our modern ears. I know that. I'm not saying it's right, but it is the way that it was in those times. And so we read this, we need to know that, that these women were exceptionally vulnerable. In fact, it's quite graphic in the book of Ruth when you read a little bit further, describing how vulnerable they truly were. Bible's real, right? This is not, this is not play-play. This is not make-believe. This is the reality of life and God intervening in an ordinary life and in an ordinary family just like us. And then what I, I love here is that um, if, you, if you, again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, guys. I can just read and I know people who know stuff about Hebrew and they live on the internet, so I go find what they say. <laughs> Trusted resources, and that's the only reason I know this stuff. I'm not clever. You can do the same thing, but I thought I'd just summarize it. Maybe it's helpful. Um, so Ruth describes Naomi's argument towards her as a wound inflicted upon her. So Ruth says to Naomi, stop shouting at me and telling me to go back to my mother. She's literally described it like you're inflicting punishment on me. Stop it. I want to actually go with you. Stop trying to force me to stop loving you. It's, it's, it's like it's that kind of language. She's saying, stop attacking me, Naomi. I want to go with you. I want to be bound to you. I want your people to be my people, your God to be my God, your place of death to be my place of death, your nation to be my nation. That's what I want, Naomi, and so I'm coming with you. And then she goes and levies that curse upon her head. She said, if I don't stick to that, may your Lord deal with me ever so severely. If you read the Old Testament, when people say that, God does it. <laughs> if they don't stick to their promises, He does it. He levies judgment on those people's heads, and often it's not pretty. So uh, again, she's not naive in what she's saying here. This is, a, this is a deep, loyal kind of love. She's saying, in essence, um, Naomi, when the sun comes up tomorrow, I'm going to be there with you. 
When the clouds are there in the sky, I'm going to be there with you. In fact, I'm just going to be there with you all the time. Until you die, I'm still going to be there. I'm not going to leave your land. This is a covenant or a commitment or a love that she's making that is stronger than the marriage vow. Can I tell you how? In the marriage vow, what do we typically say when you're making commitment to one another? Anyone guessing what I'm just about to say? Until death do us part. What does Ruth say to Naomi? Death will not part us. You die. I'm not going back to Mama and Moab. I'm staying here. I'm going to remain committed to you even after you die. Death will not part us. I will remain committed to you. And my bones will be buried where your bones are buried in your nation, Israel. It is a powerful, powerful statement. So I hope you're getting it. I mean, I know I'm just drumming the same drum over and over, but it's a beautiful, beautiful declaration of loyal, self-giving, generous love from Ruth towards Naomi. And again, she really has no idea how the story is going to end. It ends beautifully. It's what we would call a divine comedy. <laughs> it's a beautiful, happy ending story. But at this stage, it's very, very dark. It's not a great, where we're reading in the scripture today, it's not a great situation. And so, um, as I've shared that, I hope it does stir something in you. <laughs> Firstly, to go and read the story again for yourself and just check what I'm saying is true. But secondly, that it is, if it is true, it is absolutely phenomenal, beautiful, remarkable, the kind of love each of us deeply, deeply craves and desires in our hearts. Just imagine that kind of love. You almost can't. Someone so deeply committed to you so deeply, for you so deeply, no matter what you're like, what you go through, what you do, they're there. They are with you. Not because they have to be, but because they choose to be. It is just beautiful. And the wonderful, uh, amazing news about this is that God notices. God notices this kind of love. That's why this little story is included in the scripture, by the way. Because God notices this kind of love. It's actually quite a funny little narrative included there. If you look at where it's included in the scripture, the other narratives are much more sweeping and on a na national level and kind of much higher. This is really zoomed into this, this little family, about a 15-year period in their existence. God notices this kind of love and he loves it and he's preserved it in the scriptures for us because it demonstrates his kind of love towards us. Because he's saying, have a look, look at this picture. It's, it's almost like a picture for us. This is what my love is like in the ordinary, everyday world of growing up, of death, of children being born, of moving countries, of suffering, of pain, of joy and delight. This is what my love is like. It's loyal, it's committed, it's generous. And how different our world would be, huh? If uh, more of us lived in this kind of way. Not kind of a love that's just based on emotions. Oh, I didn't feel so good. Sorry. <laughs> love done with you. Moving on to the next person. Not like kind of love. That's a silly way to say it. But if we're honest, our hearts are really kind of like that, right? If you don't behave a certain way, sorry. Love's done. No more for you. Not kind of the self-elevating, pick myself up kind of love. You know, just me at the center. But actually, if you look at Ruth's kind of love, she's not at the center. All she stands to gain is nothing in following Naomi. She only stands to gain more destitution, more vulnerability, more pain, and all those things. And she just says, yes, I'm going to follow you and go with you because I love you. For love's sake, I'm going to do it. For love's sake, purely on that level. That is a deep, powerful, amazing kind of love. And it's most beautifully demonstrated to us in the gospel of Jesus. And so here we're going to turn and have a look at how this story looks back uh, or looks forward to the gospel of Jesus. And so if you were for a moment with me, we're going to uh, have a look at verse 16 and 17 again. You don't have to bring it up on the screen. But I'd love you just to close your eyes if you don't mind. If you're comfortable, you don't have to, of course. I'm not going to run away or throw eggs at you. Don't worry. Um, you can just close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to read verse 16 and 17, but listen to it like this as Jesus' pledge to us. 
So listen to this as if Jesus is speaking to you this morning through verse 16 and 17. And he says this, Do not urge me to leave you. Do not urge me to return from pursuing you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, whether it's in Stellenbosch, Timbuktu, wherever it is, I will lodge. My people shall be your people. My God, my Father, shall be your God, your Father. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. I will be buried in your earth alongside you, sharing your death and sharing your sins in order to break the power of death and sin over your life. And may the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death, part me from you. In fact, not even death will part us. I will bear God's curse to make sure of that. That even beyond death, I will love you and will still be with you. You can open your eyes. When you think of it, the Spirit of Christ was speaking through Ruth, if we believe the Scriptures are ultimately authored by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ, the one who would be born, this is going to come up in chapter 4, by the way, the one who would be born into the line of this Moabite woman, young woman, was speaking through her at that time. The Spirit of Jesus was speaking through Ruth. It's amazing. It's powerful. Every act of faithful human love, every act of loyal love in dark times, it turns out is really a picture. It's a picture for us. A picture for us of God's greater love for us. A quiet, strong, persistent, generous, costly love. Seen most vividly in Jesus. Coming to earth, dying and rising for us. God gave up everything to follow us into our story, to follow us into our broken worlds, into our dark and lonely places, into our losses and bereavements, into our homes and relationships, into our everyday lives. He followed us in, in Jesus, all so that not even death would part us or separate us from him. God's loyal love is beautifully displayed in Jesus. His chesed, love. is beautifully displayed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the wonderful, wonderful news is that this is available to every single one of us. This loyal love, this devoted love, even better than Ruth's love towards Naomi, even better than that, because God can never, ever break His promises. Ruth could have, perhaps. God can't, and he won't, because of who he is. That kind of love is offered to each and every one of us right where we are. Not because of what we look like, not because of what we have, not because of what name we have, or where we've come from, or where we are, but right where we are. And this is the beautiful thing about the Christian faith. Every other mainline faith Set up is all based on who you are and what you do. It's a complete slavery because it's an impossibility to live up to the standards of any divine creature, no matter who you worship. And the wonderful truth of Christian faith is that it's not about who we are, but it's about who he is. His loyal love is not based on us, but it is offered and given to us because of who he is. It is incredible, and it's offered to us this morning, no matter where we sit, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you can receive and enjoy and bask in that wonderful love again. Be reminded that as you step in here, and you may have had a really rough week, stuff may have gone down that you regret, you don't like. Stuff may be really tough. That loyal love still extends to you. Loyal love shines in dark times. We can experience it even in the hardest moments. If you're looking in this morning, you're thinking, man, is this for me? I can hear sort of what you're talking about, Bates, this loyal love thing. It sounds lovely, you know, it sounds like a dream, but can we really experience that in this life? 
especially if you've been hurt. I bet all of us have in some way, to some degree or another, especially if you've been let down. Or what was declared as loyal love was never actually loyal. It was conditional. You can experience this love of Jesus and receive it even this morning. And I'm going to create an opportunity for us in just a moment to open ourselves up and say, yes, Lord, I want to know this loyal kind of love, whether it's for the first time or for the 500th time. Open ourselves up to that. Psalm 103, I want to, we almost had a close here. Psalm 103, verse 11 through 12 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's pretty high, so great is his chesed, or his loyal love, for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, or our sins, or our wrongdoings from us in Jesus. That's what's being referenced in the scripture. His loyal love really does shine in dark times, and in fact, in all times, not even just in dark times. So the reality is, if you're sitting here this morning and you are a Christ follower, you've been following Jesus for a while, it's not because you are awesome. Sorry to say that. You are pretty cool, some of you. Others, debatable. I'm joking. (laughs) But it's not because we're amazing, not because of how special we are. It's because God came after us. He sent Jesus and came after us to find us and to make us his own. He's been pursuing us relentlessly. But we, like Naomi, are like, no, 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 go back to your land. Go back to heaven. It's fine. We're okay. But not really. But it's fine. Go away. And we, like Naomi, but actually, he's no, no, he's like Ruth. He's like, no, I'm coming. <laughs> My God will be your God. He will be your father also. I'm coming. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to cling to you. I'm the faithful one. Whether you turn to me or not, whether you receive my love or not, I'm going to keep coming and coming and coming. No matter what you do, I'm going to keep coming. Maybe that's a word to someone this morning. You feel like you're too far. You've done too much. You've come to God at some point and now you've run away and you're like, ah, surely you won't come after me. Look what I've done. I've just spat in his face, basically. No, he will. He's still there. He's coming after you. He loves you. He's for you. He's not going to let you go. Not that easily. He's a persistent and a loyal God. And if you are a Christ follower this morning, you have received that kind of love, which gives you the ability to give that kind of love because He is in you. And so I want to encourage you, if you are a Christ follower this morning, this is my challenge to you, give that kind of love away. Not because you have to, but because it's in you. <laughs> and you're just being really selfish if you just keep it to No, that's not, that's a terrible motivation. Just give it away. God's given it to you. Give it away. And so that's a challenge this week. Think of someone, specifically maybe someone who's been challenging to you, and go and show them some generous, self-giving love, despite who they are and what they've done. Just even in a small act of kindness. That's a challenge this week. How much better, honestly, how much better would our world look if we took that seriously as Christ followers? In this town, I reckon there's about 10% of the population who are genuinely following Jesus. Maybe let's call it 8%. I don't know. That's still a lot of people. If that 8% of people took Jesus seriously, enjoyed and experienced his love, and lived like that towards those around us, we would have an incredibly transformed town, I'm telling you. It would look very different from what it looks like today. And this is exciting. It's not a heavy burden. It's a light joy that we get to live out this way to our world. And so that's my challenge to you if you're a Christ follower this morning. What does it look like for you this week to display, to demonstrate God's loyal kind of love to someone around you? Especially someone maybe who's a bit challenging at this time. Just like Ruth did. Saying, no, 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 I'm going to come after you. I'm going to show love. I'm going to go where you go, no matter what you do or what you say to me. Loyal love shines in dark times. And maybe that's also a word. Maybe it's someone around you who's really in a tough time. I can think of one of my friends who's in a tough and vulnerable stage of life. This is a wonderful time to just love him. He can't give me anything back. I can just share a word of encouragement. I can just connect with a guy. I can just do stuff. Not because of who he is, just because Jesus loved me. So I want to display that love to him. He first loved us, John wrote. Can we close our eyes and we're going to stand together and close with communion? Sorry, you don't have to close your eyes and then stand. You can stand and then close your eyes.
Thank you, Father, for your incredible love shown to us through this wonderful story today of the Ruth being faithful, showing loyal love to Naomi, and that you've done that to us most ultimately and most spectacularly in Jesus coming, living, and dying so that we can be made right with you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What a delight. And so I do want to create an opportunity, an invitation to you, if you are listening in this morning and you're uh, considering following Jesus, you're like, oh, not sure, but you heard a message this morning, you feel, man, maybe, maybe this, is, this is what they say it is. And you do want to receive this loyal, faithful, generous love of Jesus into your life. I want to make an opportunity for you to respond. And what I'm going to ask you to do, if that is you, and your heart's probably pounding right now, you just pop your hand up for a moment, and then you can put it down, and I'm just going to pray a prayer along with you. Is anyone like that who would like to, for the first time this morning, receive this loyal love of Jesus? Or maybe, as I shared earlier, maybe you've kind of run away from Jesus. You've experienced it at some point, you just like ran away, and you've come back, and you're like, oh man, I need that love. I need that love afresh this morning. Is there anyone like that? Can you just pop your hand up quickly now and we'll pray together. You can just pray along under your breath wherever you're standing this morning, particularly those who raised your hands. Though. Lord Jesus, thank you for your loyal love. Thank you that you never stop pursuing us and that you love us more than we can imagine. I receive your love this morning. I receive your forgiveness this morning for all my sin and shame and guilt. Jesus, I come to you this morning, even though I might not fully know what that means. And I say, yes, I want to be yours. I receive your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.